Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to Morning Footy. Here's a look at yesterday's results from the friendlies that we saw. Uh, Real Betis lost to Monaco 3-1. We mentioned the All-Stars fell short against the Gunners 5-0 in they fell D.C. Short. We're Just short. Short. A little bit short. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to be nice in the end, Nico. I think we've done en enough on that game. Uh, Manchester United with a 1-0 win against Lyon and Chelsea thrashed Wrexham mm. in North Carolina. First of all, though, what a story it's been for Wrexham. I think Wrexham's been one of those teams, especially for people that may be on the fringes of football or even if you absolutely love football, everyone can relate to this story and the pathway that they've had to grow through the leagues and the ceiling of promotion and how far they could go. From playing a couple of years ago, their pre-season friendlies in front of a couple of hundred people yeah. to now be playing in front of what was a sold-out crowd against Chelsea just shows really how far this team has come, Michael, regardless of the result in a way. It's been a phenomenon in the footballing world. What Ryan Reynolds, I mean, this guy keeps winning. Just the investments he's making makes another investment into football in Wales and brings Welsh football, puts it back on the map in the ways that Cardiff City and Swansea had done in the Premier League before. Now this is a different beast. First time getting promoted to the Football League. And you got to test your pedigree, grow your brand by playing against the biggest clubs in the world. It didn't happen on the field. And, you know, it's going to happen when you play against a team like Chelsea, who have a lot to prove. And Chelsea, with some of their new signings, they scored. Yeah, you know what's interesting is because we're talking about two five to nothing scores, one against the All-Stars and here Wrexham against Chelsea. But this is a team who's looking to get better to advance. And I think when you are a team, you're looking to do that against some of the best competition. So for Wrexham, I don't think they went into this game thinking that they were going to, you know, go toe to toe with Chelsea. But they're probably seeing that they could find a way to get better in certain nuances of the game. It also shows you just this full stadium. Yeah, probably a lot of Chelsea fans there but when I went to TST in North Carolina mm. the amount of people that came to watch Wrexham play yeah. was yeah. more than any other team and it shows you what some publicity what a behind the scenes documentary can do because people want to know They're the invested. stories they want to yeah. know the stories about the players so they know Ben Foster and they know his background and they know what he's been through I think if we do more of those stories in the United States I know the U.S. Women's National Team is doing one right now at the World Cup which Ooh. I feel like uh, it's a really high-stakes game to play when you're uh, trying uh, to get uh, your Arge third World uh, Argentina Cup. Argentina did one with Apple. At the World Cup? At the Real Madrid. Yeah. Real Madrid did one. They won the Champions League. Right? Okay, yeah. so maybe they're thinking that's going to be good luck for them yeah. as they go for I feel like everybody does one and yeah. we only yeah. see the winners. But, yeah, yeah. But the reason I think that that is such a good idea is because of what we're seeing here. Like, people care about Wrexham. It's now. almost like, like a real-life Richmond from Ted Lasso. The, the exactly. The team that everybody mm. loves so much from the TV show. This is the closest thing to real life. But I suppose on the other side of that, you brought up a great point in that Chelsea, this is the first time for Pochettino to take charge of this team. 
they've got a lot of players to sort through and this mm. is really like their time to showcase why they should be in the starting yeah, 11. All of these fringe players getting minutes to solidify and consolidate a squad for the Premier League with so many people coming in, so many people coming out. That's what these preseason friendly games are for and it's a result that's that's expected. Mm. Like you said, Jordan, I mean, yeah. Wrexham probably expected to lose but it's different from the MLS All-Star game because this is a, what, they went came up to the fourth division, their fourth division side against a top flight squad. So um, it was more for from a marketing perspective. Mm -hmm. yeah. Wrexham just putting their footprint even deeper into the American soccer subconscious. Not even the soccer subconscious because you know what? Let me tell you a secret. I haven't even seen the Wrexham documentary, but I know there's people oh. that don't like football. It's like, the, I, but you've, but you've <laughs> heard. Let's not get into that. Down that route. You haven't seen it, but you've heard. Know it. I know, and I know how important it is to people. But there's a lot of people that probably watch it because of Ryan Reynolds and Rob mm. McElhaney yeah. and got into it and said, yeah. and all the PR. But now they might hey, like football that. because of it, which yeah. is like a cool crossover. I think one of the biggest takeaways I took from this match, not just the cool branding and Wrexham being there to be accounted for and spread their brand, is Chelsea signing and forward. Christopher Nkunku getting that goal. RB Leipzig, they would not have won back-to-back DF Pokal Cups without this guy. Scored in two finals in a row, gets injured right before the World Cup for France. I think mm. he would have been a difference in that final. I'm saying it, Nico. Yeah. I think he would have made a difference he, he, he against scores. your Argentina. He scores in that final. He would have scored in, that. Instead of the one he that Colombo missed. He is a player to watch, though, for Chelsea. He was a great I think guy. that he will be yeah. a great addition for them. Uh, what about your team, Manchester United? It wasn't as big a win as what Chelsea got, but still, nonetheless, they got the job done. 1-0, uh, Van der Beek was the uh, goal scorer. How long do we have? Can I get 10 minutes to go through? No, if United would have lost this, I would have been drinking something other than coffee before morning footy. Thank goodness Donny Van de Beek oh. gets this goal. This is the sort of finishing that we saw from him when he played at Ajax under a certain Eric Ten Hag. Big moment for him to get that goal because he had suffered an injury. Hadn't been the best of ways for him in United shirt. And Johnny Evans coming back yeah. to Old Trafford. You think that's wow. why he celebrated like that? Oh, absolutely. The scream is the, a little bit about the Relief from the it's injury. a sense yeah, of relief, absolutely. the emotion in his face, and you saw what it meant to him. You nice saw what it meant to. <laughs> to the rest of the team to come around him. That yeah. could be the spark for confidence I mean, as a player. You touched on it. You know that Eric Ten Hag has confidence and knows the potential of Donny van der Beek because you go back a couple of seasons and you see that Ajax run and that Ajax team. Man, mm. between oh. van der Beek and Frankie de Jong, yeah. Yeah. they ran those midfields and then Dusan Tadic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like that triangle was stupid good. What, yeah. um, what about Ten Hag though? Because the, the expectations for this season have changed massively compared to where Manchester United were last season coming into it. Win. He's already made some huge Win. changes, hasn't he? Is that the expectation? How it's Manchester United. Because it hasn't been the expectation, has it? It's been, let's get into Champions League, although they, they know how short they've fallen in the past couple of years. Have you liked the changes that Ten Hag has made this off-season, not only with the players that he's bringing in, but the changes that he's making within the locker room as well? Obviously, now we know that Harry Maguire isn't the captain. I think that I do like the changes, and it stemmed from last season. What he did with Cristiano Ronaldo and... I'll just leave it at that. I already had, I said my piece with Cristiano Ronaldo. But what he did in severing ties from Ronaldo with he the got club, it right. that was the mm. biggest thing that you could have done. Going into that season, the question mark wasn't what was going to happen in terms of tactics. It was whose club is this? Is it Tin Hogs yeah. or Ronaldo's? And Set he said, tone. it is my team, my club, and I'm going to do it my way. From there, he's making these strategic moves, the captaincy issue. Doing that before the season, that is so important. 
to say, okay, this is going to be my way moving forward. But now the transfer market, getting rid of David De Gea, I know it was you know, six and one, half a dozen the other of, did he get the respect here? I like the move with Andre Onana. He was the best goalkeeper in the Champions League. He was the best goalkeeper last year in the Champions (laughs) League. Had a ton of shutouts, especially in big games. A big reason why Inter made their run. Very good with playing Mm -hmm. with the ball out of the back. Entry passes. It's going to be a bit different, though, in the Premier League because you can get caught with teams pressing. But but David De Gea got caught with teams pressing several times. You saw that he's a better passer than David De Gea. I think Manchester United are going to see a significant improvement because you jumpstart your possessions when your goalkeeper really has his feet as a dominant characteristic to his play. And the way that Manchester United are going to be able to evolve possession-wise in an attack and a build-up, it will be different. And what are the expectations? This is Manchester United. I think Ten Hag has really gotten the club right on track. There's going to be new ownership, new types of investment. Since what about the striker that they're missing? You've got to win the Premier League, Poppy. You've got to win the Premier you League. Had to she had bring to bring it up. The elephant Start in the timer room. Again. I'm still looking at the striker situation, and Atalanta is supposedly where they're looking right now for Hoyland. Is he the sort of player that I imagine them getting? I'd like to see a bit more ambition in the striker market for them. Yeah. But getting a striker, getting an improvement from Weghorst, you got to build small inches and small It'll blocks. Right. It is an improvement. Leave There's Rasmus Hoyland in Serie A. He's not ready yet. He's not ready for the Premier League. Uh, stay with us. We've got plenty more to come here on Morning Footy. We're going to be right back after this short break. The World Cup is finally underway. Australia picked up three points earlier on today as the host nation. New Zealand did the same as well. And then later on tonight, we'll see Canada and Nigeria go head-to-head in Group B. There's been so much happening off the pitch with this Nigeria side, which is such a shame, obviously, because they're a massively talented squad. There was talks of them potentially boycotting the World Cup due to them not getting paid by the Federation and everything that has kind of gone on behind the scenes. We know that they're expected to play tonight. They're your dark horse of this competition but how much of a distraction do you think that everything has been in the build-up to this World Cup? It's been a distraction I think Canada has their own distraction too with some of the pay discrepancies that they feel like they're um, trying to get with their federation but for Nigeria this is a squad who is an 11-time Women's Africa Cup of Nations champion. They have so much talent on this squad. Randy Waldrum, a longtime American coach, um, probably best known for his time at Notre Dame. He coached with Houston Dash for a while, is heading this team. And I think what he said earlier this week is, you know, they're, they're, the players haven't gotten paid. I was withhold um, some pay for a long time. He got paid too. So I think they've gotten it to a place where we have to put this behind us because there's a World Cup to play. And as a player, it's it's unfortunate because all you want to do do is play in a world cup but you want to be respected for the work that you're doing and respected by a nation who I think really looks at this team and finds some hope and finds some joy. Um, Asisat Oshwala plays for Barcelona. She's one of the only Nigerian players to get recognized as a Ballon d'Or, a player nominated for that. She is an incredible player. There's a number of players that this country looks to and says, hey, we could have a good run. I like the way that this team attacks. I think under Randy Waldrum, they have a lot better of a defensive presence. He's added some structure to them. But you're looking at 
Ifi Anumanu from Gotham mm -hmm. FC, this player who can get at you in 1v1 situations. And you can't count Nigeria out. I wish they didn't have to deal with this, but it sounds like it. They have kind of put that aside and they're saying, okay, we're gonna participate in this World Cup. We're gonna do the best we can. And now looking at this group, I it's think a big, it's a tough group, it's a isn't tough it, for group, them to get through? But I also think that they could get, they're my dark horse. I think they're advancing who, who out of this group. Who will they get out of it at the expense of then? Canada. You think Canada won't make it out of the group? I do. Okay. Who's, wow. Nigeria next plays, do we know that? Who they play after, after, after Canada. Yeah. After Canada. Why don't you check for us, Nico? Yeah. How do you see them faring, <laughs> though, against Canada tonight? Oof. I think it's going to be a tough game. I think it, with this Canadian team, there's just such a far cry from where they were with the consistency that you saw in the Olympic winning the gold. But for Nigeria being on the up and up, I think we could see an upset. Do you? Okay. Do you agree, Nico? They need to win today. Canada, uh, excuse me, Nigeria, yeah. they, because then you play Australia, you imagine they would drop points, although Australia wasn't too convincing today, but you would back Australia at home at a World Cup. Always in World Cups, winning that first game it's is so key. It's very rare circumstances where a team doesn't win, draws or loss, goes on to win the tournament. E even in the men's, uh, Argentina and Spain are the only two that lost that first game and were able to get over that. that it just presents a massive, massive hurdle from the sake of mentality, mm -hmm. of, of what you need to get over, you need to win out from then on out. It's, it's, a, it's not an easy thing to do. And Nigeria, both with Canada, I, I think there's a lot of, for not only them, but for so many of these national teams going into the World Cup, there's a context greater than what's going on in the field that when it's your, your professionalism, the respect, at play, the, the pride, it's, it, it's difficult to kind of just say, okay, you know what, about all yeah, that yeah. And, and go, go into the game I mean, 90 minutes, so we'll see. With their shirts inside, you can see all these things that are carrying on, you know, on the pitch and everything that has led up to it hasn't been put behind them yeah. months ago. It's happening right now in the days leading up to the World Cup. But for Canada, I feel like they've got a massive expectation on their shoulders, especially with this generation. Christine Sinclair, obviously, is the huge person, the talking point for Canada. She has been for quite some time now. So wouldn't it be disastrous, though, Jordan, if they're not to get out of the group? Potentially, Christine's is her last World Cup, right? Has she I, said that? She has not said that, but 190 goals. You, you want a player like this to um, advance in the World Cup. And Sophie Schmidt said a couple days ago that she... She thinks her team has always underperformed at the World Cup. And that, that is a shock to her, I think, with the Olympic gold that they just got in 2020 slash in the summer of 2021. They have a different belief in themselves, this Canadian squad. They know that they can compete with some of the best in the world. And, and I think down their spine, they're really good. Kadisha Buchanan, uh, Vanessa Gilles, their center backs are solid. Sophie Schmidt in front of them, Christine Sinclair. I think there is a... a team that has played together for a long time so they know each other very well I, I just am questioning is Christine Sinclair so the player to score all these goals can, can she continue to be the facilitator that she has been for Portland over these last couple of is years she, do you think she and will be the facilitator yeah I, I think she'll have to be and it'll be interesting will they use Jordan Heidema as a nine or will they use her as a 10? Because O.L. Reign has been utilizing Heidema as a 10 and then she can run and beyond hmm. they use a target player does Canada do that in their 4-3-3 under Ben Priesman? I think Jordan Heidema 
is a better nine, but I think Sinclair can hold the ball up better and Heidema can get in behind and she's better with space in front of her. Mm -hmm. So I think that that might be how we see them set up. But they have goal scorers in their roster. Can they do it under the pressure that they're going to have now as the reigning Olympic champions? There's a lot more spotlight on this Canadian How team. How much are they going to miss Janine Becky? Yeah, they're going to miss her a lot. Competition. They're going to miss her a lot. That was a devastating ACL for her. Uh, a player I know very well growing up in Colorado together. Um, it's a hard time to tear your ACL when you're trying to help your team win a World Cup just a couple of months before. Her service is what they're going to miss. Her determination, resilience on the field. Um, but sometimes when things happen off the pitch, that can also boost a team. So we'll see how they perform. It. They still have Ashley Lawrence uh, mm -hmm. as a winger who can do all those things as well. They are a stacked team. Even last summer when we watched them in the W Championship when they played in the final against the US, it felt very close compared to what it has felt in the past couple of years as well. So quick predictions then. Do you see Canada? Who do you see getting out of the group, Nico? Nigeria. And Australia? I convinced and you. And after, mm -hmm. after the win... Uh, Australia. Wow. Yeah. You mm. agree, Michael? I agree with that. And especially if Australia could get results without Sam Kerr getting that, as you said, that first win How off your belt. How big is that? That, that is massive. Is now you can you get your focal point on that third room. group game that could be the decider for this Aussie team. And you've obviously got Nigeria going through. Dark as group winners, baby. maybe? What? Who knows? As group winners? Or you think no. Australia will win the group? Uh, ooh, I think ooh. Australia will win the group. Okay. All right, we'll see. Stay with us, though, still to come. After the break, Charlie and Susanna caught up with Carolyn Kindle, CEO and president of St. Louis. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Morning Footy. Well, one of the biggest stories this season in Major League Soccer has been the success of St. Louis in their inaugural season. Yesterday in Washington, Susanna and Charlie caught up with their CEO and president, Carolyn Kindle. Can you talk about what this team has been able to do in Major League Soccer so far as your inaugural season to put these results and put people in the seats? It's, it's been really inspirational. Well, I think it started with the coaching staff um, and just how they picked the players. And they were very clear and very focused on um, who they are as people, um, their playing style. And so you can see that it's worked really well. Um, so they're close on and off the pitch, um, but they're also great great people to have in the region. Um, they've embraced the region, whether it's volunteers, whether it's playing with children, um, or really adults for that matter. And so I think that the town has just been so excited to get behind them um, and their family, you know, whether they're, you know, like our professional family or St. Louis's family, the entire region is just so proud of everything that they do. It's incredible watching the games at City Park and seeing the way St. Louis has embraced this club and the turnout. I mean, it's electric. It's one of the best atmospheres that we've that we've seen in the league. And here we are over halfway through the season and St. Louis sitting at the top of the Western Conference standings. And I know you guys got out to this incredible start. And some people were, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna throw Charlie under the bus, but he was like, maybe, I don't know, maybe this isn't real. Maybe, you know, it's just the, the, the new team bump. And it's not. It's no joke. And you talked about the identity of the team. When you speak to Bradley Carnell, what do you think it is about him that has gotten these guys to play like a such a, a 
a well-organized style of soccer that has gotten them to the top of the Western Conference team? Well, I think first and foremost, they're the very first team, right? So there was no bar that was set, so they got to set the bar. Um, but also, too, I think I think they come out and they play for the fans. Mm-hmm. I think they play for the fans and they play for the ownership group um, because they are, they are just beloved by everybody. And um, one of the players made a comment that said, well, I don't know if I like this team or not like this team, but I've heard from the city that we don't like this team. Therefore, I don't like this team. <laughs> and so it was just cute because that's that's genuinely how they feel, is that they want to go out and be have this incredible product on the pitch because they want everybody to be happy for them. But I think what they're really seeing is that we said we were a soccer town, and I think we've absolutely, you know, really surprised everybody. But I think... I think they just like the fact that people are just so excited to have them. Um, and, you know, bad days are good days. You know, you see people are still have their Berkey kits and their Klaus kits and their high fives. And it's just, it's amazing how well they have treated the fans in return. Oh, so good to hear from uh, Carolyn Kindle there. They really have been one of the success stories, haven't they, St. Louis, just with the, the, the atmosphere that they've created and also what they've put out on the pitch. Unbelievable. And I think it speaks volumes about the preparation that they put yeah. in exactly. before they came to Major League Soccer. At the be- just when the show started, we had a very similar conversation. Compare what Inter Miami did when they were starting out as an expand, ex, excuse me, expansion franchise, mm-hmm. and what St. Louis did. St. Louis had their coach, they had an identity already, they had their players. And Inter Miami, there were a couple of things like the manager that didn't fall into place, and they weren't too sure of. And it was kind of like you could feel that it was a little bit of sc- last-minute scrambling to, to to get everything up and running. But St. Louis had a very clear vision from the very beginning, and it, it's. Now I will say it's no fluke. I I thought the beginning of their season, they couldn't sustain that. But I have to eat my words. I have to devour my words. (laughs) For them to be atop the Western Conference is... It's incredible. There's no way to, to, to do it justice in, in an explanation, in an analysis, because it is mm. extraordinary do what you, they've done. Do you think it helped the fact that they played in MLS Next yes. Pro with the build-up? Because then they had a second to really bring in all these pieces and to get ready and to wait for their stadium to happen. It happened in steps, whereas with other expansion teams, we've seen them just be thrown right in and try, as I throw my hand, <laughs> <laughs> trying to get go. ready for the opening match. You did a really <laughs> good point. You. I felt like that, and I, I was in Columbus last year, I watched the MLS Next Pro final with St. Louis against Columbus as the second teams there. I think that was really smart and something that I think teams are hopeful of utilizing these second teams into building a first team and hopefully bringing players up. But they brought a number of players up. So their identity was established. They had played together as a team. And then if you bring eight, nine of those players into your first team, there is already a culture that has, was starting to get built. I think they also did a really good job of bringing in Parker, bringing in Nerwinski, MLS pros. They have veterans who played in the league, mm. especially as defenders, just to stabilize things. It was the, a really smart move by The, the recruitment is so key to Major League Soccer. Yes, the infrastructure that you build. St. Louis is a soccer city. It is part of the soccer heritage in this country. It goes back to the NCAA days and indoor 
it just lives through this country in terms of the soccer sense. Now you get to Major League Soccer, and I think getting the likes of Roman Berkey, tapping into that Central European heritage in St. Louis, yeah. I think was a blockbuster move, experienced goalkeeper. Now you look at the midfield, Edward Loven, one of the most underrated set-piece takers and impact players in Absolutely. Major League He's Soccer. Been great. But then you use the MLS metrics of trades, free agency, Jared Stroud, he was in no man's land with Austin mm. FC. He wasn't appreciated. They say, we'll take a chance on you. And now he's been one of their key contributors from midfield. Whether he starts coming off the bench, he still contributes. Joe Kino, Nicholas Joe Kino, unwanted by Orlando. He is their lead striker. Klaus out, still injured. Yeah. Joe Kino stepping up. It's been blockbuster move after move. We should have had Ali Trost Martin come here talk about St. Louis City. She's from there. Her uncle was a really big player um, for the national team, but also grew up in St. Louis. So the wow. Trost family has a lot of heritage in St. Louis. And I know that she's really proud. I got to be at a game there with her for the U.S. Women's National Team. This is the, a beautiful stadium, too. So they're yeah doing everything right as you just heard um, but they have built it on the field and you can you can have all the bells and whistles but if you're not performing on the field it's going to be different and they have knocked it out of the park in all aspects it's a shame there's not going to be world cup qualifiers anymore for this cycle at least st louis at this top of the western conference uh, only behind FC Cincinnati, who are the best team in MLS. Obviously, their second best. What a season it's been for them. Let's see if they can carry it on. Stay with us, though. Ali is back with the day's headlines after the break. Welcome back to Morning Footy. Uh, how good is this to see from Mallory Pugh? Her first touches on the ball in three months. She's recovering from her injury. Comes at a nice time. Obviously, she's going to be sitting at home watching the World Cup. She was on sensational form before her injury. It really was a devastating blow to not only the team, but obviously to her and all of her support. It made me smile to see that this morning. I know. You could see her, too. I like she's just still rocking the glasses, yeah. though, outside. She's like, <laughs> I'm still going to look good and while I get these touches in. It, I spoke with her a little bit after that injury, and... Um, Gosh, it's just devastating. She was probably the best form striker in the world mm. at the time she got injured. Uh, but she is such a faithful person, and she's continuing to take it a step at a time. And I think it helps that her husband's in town with her in Chicago now, yes. has a nice support system there. And they've had some nice trips. I know they're in uh, London yeah. and been around. So making the most of what's been obviously a really, you really can tough do. time uh, for her. But it's yeah. tough. It's, it's tough. so hard to see these players go down yeah. injured. Because then when the story tells itself several years later yeah. and she's mm -hmm. not on the squad, it's just like... I, I, I feel like it would be hard to watch. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I don't know how I could watch. That's the hardest thing, that feeling of what might have been, especially when you're in sat such blistering form, knowing that that could have been you contributing, it's hard. The form of her career. Her comeback is going to be yes, top-notch. It's going to be on. Uh, Ali, what have you got for us? The latest headlines, the last the, ones of the day. The last ones of the day, and unfortunately, more injury news to talk about. Australia won their opening World Cup match against Ireland 1-0 earlier today, despite being without their star striker, Sam Kerr, who picked up a calf injury in the final training session ahead of the tournament. Kerr will also be unavailable for their second Group B match against Nigeria on July 27th, and a medical team will determine whether she is fit or not for the final group stage match on July 31st. And in other World Cup injury news, Jim, uh, Germany defensive midfielder Lena Orberdorf will likely miss the opening match against Morocco on Monday due to a thigh injury. 
German coach Martina Voss Tecklenburg alluded to Overdorf and defender Mariana Hegering being out saying today that it no. looks as if we won't be able to fall back on either oh. player in the first game. What is happening here? It's really unfortunate news coming out of the World Cup with all of these injuries, but a more positive health update on another star player in this World Cup. The reigning women's Ballon d'Or winner Alexia Pateas is fit and ready to play in Spain's tournament opener against Costa Rica on Friday. According to head coach Jorge Vilda, Pateas has yet to play 90 minutes since returning from the torn ACL that she suffered a year ago, but did feature in FC Barcelona's final six matches last season. And in some Serie A news, AC Milan's completed the transfer signing of Dutch midfielder Tijani Reinders on a reported $22 million transfer from Azed Alkmaar. Reinders will step into a Milan midfield that lost Sandro Tonali and Brahim Diaz earlier this summer. And finally, AC Milan and Puma have unveiled the new away kit for the 2023-24 season. The design is a nod to the first white jersey worn by Milan back in 1910. And the club's worn white regularly on the road ever since. In fact, fans call their alternate kit the lucky one because it was worn in six European Cup and Champions League title wins. AC Milan will debut the kit at the Rose Bowl Stadium in Pasadena on July 23rd when Milan play Real Madrid as part of the soccer championship. Champions Tour. Hopefully, oh, <laughs> gets his in uh, the debut of the kit as well. That's all we've got time for. We'll see you tomorrow for more Morning Footy.